that time of praise. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 once again. Paul is writing to the saints who are at Ephesus. <clears throat> I've mentioned before that some have divided this book into two parts, or two sections. Chapters 1 through 3 lay the theological foundation, and chapters 4 through 6 focus more on practical matters, implications and applications for the believer's life. The first three chapters tell us what God wanted us to know, and the final three chapters really tell us what we are to do with what we now know. <clears throat> Excuse me. Last week we focused on the first six verses, you'll remember, of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And in those six verses, the Apostle Paul chose to turn our attentions toward a common unity that is to characterize the church that Jesus promised to build. It's all about oneness, the same oneness that Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17 with these words, Father, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. At the end of chapter 3, Paul concludes what God wanted us to know, that whole section of this letter, with a doxology. Notice verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within him, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then, chapter 4, verse 1, begins with, notice, therefore. It's as if Paul were saying, for God to be glorified in the church, the church must be unified. And that kind of unity, according to these opening six verses of Ephesians chapter 4, is dependent to some degree on you and me walking in a manner worthy of our callings. <clears throat> and living up to our calling requires us to stick together. How do we do that? Last week, we discovered that individually, we can retain or maintain or promote and even engage with one another in this stickiness or sticking together by being humble, being gentle, being patient, being tolerant in the good sense of that word, not excusing or making excuse for sin. And then finally, by being diligent to preserve the unity on which the church was founded. So this morning, we want to continue making our way through Ephesians chapter 4 by focusing on verses 7 through to the end of verse 16. Last week, it was living up to your calling by sticking together. 
This morning we're going to be looking at living up to your calling by growing together. Please stand with me if you are able for the reading from God's word. Allow me to begin reading at verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll read through to the end of verse 16. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is God's word. us this morning. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Father, again, we're thankful for the opportunity to gather this morning as a local church family to worship you and to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. As we now turn our attention to your authoritative and sufficient word, Give us ears that hear and eyes that see what you would have us know and do as revealed in these verses. Teach us, we pray. And then enable us by the power of your Spirit to live up to our calling by sticking and growing together so that you will get the glory in the Rock Community Church. In the words of the psalmist, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Be glorified in and through us as individuals and as a local unified church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So how can we, as the Rock Community Church, grow together? It's a very good question. The sevenfold oneness that we find in verses 4 through 7, or 4 through 6, lays out or pours the foundation on which the church is established. Without unity or oneness, the church implodes. It is an absolute essential. I think I mentioned last week that unity is to the church what an egg is to an omelet. You take unity or oneness out of the church and the church ceases to exist. Did you notice how verse 7 begins? But. It indicates the Apostle Paul is about to make a, a contrast, a significant contrast, with the unity that he has just emphasized in verses 4 through 6. You may want to circle in your Bibles that but. On the one hand, we are working hard to replace any kind of pride, harshness, impatience, intolerance. A take-it-or-leave-it attitude. We're working to replace that with humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and diligence. All for the purpose of retaining and promoting the unity of the Spirit. But... But what? But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now what does that mean? Notice it is to each one of us. There are no exceptions. In fact, at this point in the letter, Paul includes even himself. Each one of us. Us, from the oldest to the youngest, from the richest to the poorest, regardless of your looks, your heritage, your gender, the color of your skin, the size of your bank account, where you're coming from or where you think you might be going, all believers receive this grace gift from Christ. Grace means you don't deserve it and you can never earn it. This is not something that you can steal or borrow. It is a grace gift with your name on it. Grace. It speaks of both undeserved favor and divine enablement. The New Living Translation reads, He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Did you hear that? Each one, a special gift. Sometimes referred to in Scripture as a spiritual gift. According to one helpful definition, a spiritual gift is a skill or ability 
that enables a Christian to perform a function in the body of Christ with ease and effectiveness. And notice the phrase, according to the measure. That means Christ gives each one of us a custom fit, tailor-made, uniquely designed gift. Ensuring that it's going to fit you like a glove. And will better enable you to do those good works. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? Those good works which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. Here's the point. God intends this unity or oneness that is foundational to his design for the church to be enhanced by diversity. Unity does not require uniformity. We do not need to all look alike, walk alike, talk alike, and react the exact same way in order to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Becoming a Christian does not make us automatons or reduce us to robots. In the church, there is to be unity in the midst of diversity. Living up to your calling means or includes celebrating our God-designed diversity. There are several New Testament passages that present this concept of, of unity with diversity as, the, as God's design for the church. None clear than 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's turn there for a moment. Keep your finger in Ephesians chapter 4 and then just turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Allow me to begin reading at verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. So Paul's using the analogy of the human body to represent what life is like in the church. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or, Je- or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If a foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. 
if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, there are many members, but one body. Not only is it unity with diversity, not only is that part of God's design for the church, but this illustration makes it crystal clear that without that diversity, we will not be able to fulfill our functionality. We will not be able to fulfill the purpose for which the church exists. Let's read on. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Beloved, let's make a practice of celebrating our God-endowed diversity. What might that look like? Let's begin by declaring an all-out war against comparisons and competition. Think about it. Diversity invites that kind of silly game. But, but to retain and promote unity with diversity here at the Rock Community Church, let's make a commitment right now, right here this morning, to replace that temptation to compare and compete with some of the following practices. Let's use words of affirmation. Let's be found cheering each other on, recognizing people when they get something right, rather than focusing on each other's blemishes and failures and bloopers. Sending notes of appreciation. How long does it take to send a text or an email or pick up the phone and make a call? Rather than comparing and competing, let's watch for opportunities that will advance or ensure a fellow participant has an opportunity to continue to succeed in what he's doing or to expand his circle of influence. Make the connection for him. Make the introductions. What 
wouldn't it be neat to build that kind of culture right here in the Rock Community Church? And of course, pray. Thank God for the contributions that you see others making to family life here in this context of the Rock Community Church. You see, by replacing our seemingly natural tendencies to compare and compete with intentional, whether we feel like it or not, and especially if we're struggling with some other participant, demonstrations of affirmation and appreciation, we will find ourselves not just sticking together, but actually growing together. We will make one another want to be a better Christian. John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3 verse 18 reads, Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. By replacing our competitions and our comparisons with actions and reactions that are looking out not only for our own interests but also for the interests of others. By the way, there are cults and false religions that do this really, really well. Verses 8 through 10. The Apostle Paul informs us how Jesus qualified to become the giver of these special gifts. He presents two explanations, notice. The first is found in verse 8. It's actually a quote of Psalm 86, verse 18, but not really. Let me read it. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high... He led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. If you were to turn back to that in the Old Testament, you'll find that, that Paul's made some edits to this verse in Psalm 86. But he's done it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give an explanation for how Jesus became the giver of these special gifts. In the same way that a victorious Israelite king would return home after the battle and share some of the loot with his friends and close associates, Jesus shares special gifts with those who are by faith trusting him alone for their salvation. We become the recipients of these special gifts because King Jesus has won a decisive victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your, your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. King Jesus won a decisive victory 
over the power of sin and death. Earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul wrote, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still dead in your sins. But that is not the case. Jesus won a decisive victory, and we are the beneficiaries. The second explanation is found in verses 9 and 10. They're presented as a parenthetical statement in my NASB translation. Paul felt that phrase, he ascended, required a further explanation. I have to admit that these are the most controversial verses in the entire letter that was written to the Ephesians. I'm going to ask that you give me permission to apply the the KISS principle this morning. Keep it simple, Simon. Some have understood he descended into the lower parts of the earth as speaking of Jesus' incarnation. He left heaven, clothed himself in human flesh, and pitched his tent in our backyard. Others see it as a reference when Jesus, having died, was placed in a tomb in the ground. There are other explanations, but let's leave those for another day. We have the report of Jesus' ascension into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And just prior to his ascension, Jesus made this claim to his, to his closest ministry companions in Matthew chapter 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22, the Apostle Paul stated a similar result of Jesus' incarnation and ascension into heaven with these words. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Jesus, the head of the church, has been given all authority. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 affirms the same. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Jesus won a decisive victory over the power of sin and death. He has been given all authority. And he is therefore qualified to be the distributor of these special gifts to each one that will add to the diversity which can serve to enhance our unity right here at the Rock Community Church. Living up to your calling includes celebrating our God-endowed diversity. And secondly, by cooperating with our God-given leaders. Look at verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as uh, 
pastors and teachers. Did you notice the change? He gave some. Paul is no longer focusing on those special grace gifts. He's moved on. He's talking about those gifted individuals that God has given to his church. Gifted individuals, not re-gifted, but gifted to the church. Apostles. An apostle is someone who has been sent as an authoritative delegate on behalf of someone else. Twelve men, plus the Apostle Paul, or plus, plus Paul, were the official apostles. These are the ones who were foundational to the New Testament church. All of them had encountered the risen Lord and been appointed by him as apostles. But the word, the Greek word, apostolos, is not only reserved for those 13 men. It is used elsewhere to describe any kind of servant that has been sent by his master on a mission. In John chapter 13, verse 16, for example, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is speaking, a slave is not greater than his master's, nor is one who is sent, apostolos, greater than the one who sent him. So today, perhaps we could refer to these individuals as missionaries, people who have been sent on our behalf to represent us and our Lord in a place where we cannot go. Prophets. In the New Testament, prophets provided edification, exhortation, and comfort to the church. An example is found in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 to 28. Listen as I read. During this time, some prophets tra traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. This kind of proclamation, however, did not carry with it the same authority as a teacher or preacher of the word of God. Teachers and preachers take God's word and apply it and explain it. Evangelists are the third. Then and now they proclaim the gospel. The message has not changed. We're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. As you by faith confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the message of an evangelist, and it is absolutely essential. Well, they all are, but this one's particularly so for building the church in every age. Finally, pastors and teachers. In the original language, it appears that this, the Apostle Paul was referring to a single individual. So this is a dual title for one person. He's a pastor-teacher. 
the individual shepherd God's people, protecting, feeding, leading, and caring for their practical needs. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gifts listed are spiritual enhancements. Here in Ephesians, the gifts are actually people, individuals, who fulfill leadership roles in those early days in the church. And God continues to gift churches to this day with missionaries, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For what purpose? For what purpose are gifted individuals gifted to the church? Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Beloved, can I encourage you to highlight that verse? Because that really gets to the heart of the matter. And will you join me? And I'm making my appeal to you that we would make this our first and foremost prayer for the Rock Community Church. God, help us to become an equipping center for your people. That is my number one prayer. And it has been since the day I arrived at the Rock Community Church to serve as your pastor. We want believing participants, regardless of their age, their gender, their spiritual maturity, when they come to this church facility to always be presented with an opportunity to take the next step, to be further equipped for doing the good works God prepared in advance for them to do. Will you join me in making this our prayer? For how long? How long are gifted individuals going to be gifted to the church? Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Notice it is until we all attain Sounds like it's one of those leave no one behind statements. These are lifelong pursuits. And you may want to underline them. There's four of them. Attain to the unity of faith. In other words, until we are perfected in unity. It's the way Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. Attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. We just don't know about Jesus, but we know him intimately and personally. Mature. All grown up. And the fourth one, to the fullness of Christ. Your life begins to display the character and the activity 
the actions and reactions that you'd find in the life of Christ. To what advantage? Look at verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. To what advantage? How about stability? In our Wednesday night men's Bible study, we've been making our way through the book of James, and a couple of weeks ago we looked at we were looking at a passage in James chapter 1. And verses 5 to 8 read, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Same imagery. For that person ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Unity. Becoming familiar with Jesus, maturing, becoming more Jesus-like in character and behavior will bring stability into our lives. In this increasingly unstable world in which we find ourselves living. COVID-19, political chaos, riots, gender dysphoria, legal abortions, medical assisted suicides, an upside down value system with mixed up priorities. It's an increasingly confusing and unstable world. Living up to your calling enables you to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is never in vain. Verse 15, but rather than flip-flopping, being unstable in all that you do, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Not only stability, the second advantage is growth. Personal and corporate growth. This reminds me of that triangle illustration that was used years ago to encourage marriage couples in their pursuit of relational intimacy. Believing couples. Do you remember it? God was at the top the triangle, and the closer the couple grew in their relationship toward God, they'd find themselves growing closer together as a couple. Well, here in these verses, in Ephesians chapter 4, Christ, it is Christ from whom the whole 
Rock Community Church family is being fitted and held together. But I don't want you to head for the lazy boys and girls just yet. We need to continue reading. Look at according to the proper working of each individual part. Paul's referencing individuals again. We've now come full circle. Remember back in verse 7? It was to each one. Now he's come back to the each individual part. All of us making our individual, unique contribution causes the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. And now, beloved, you know the rest of the story. Living up to your calling involves celebrating God-endowed diversity and cooperating with God-given leaders. And from last week, don't forget last week, being humble, being gentle, being patient, being tolerant in the right way, being diligent and preserving the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And all this prepares the Rock Community Church family to grow, building itself up in love as Jesus fits and holds us together. As you and I live up to our callings, we will find ourselves, I mean the Rock Community Church, sticking and growing together. To God be the glory. Father, thank you for the church, not just for our church, but for your church that spans the globe. This was your idea. And Jesus promised that building his church would not be derailed by anyone's death, not even his own. Thank you that while on earth he chose ordinary men to be his closest ministry companions. And then after just two and a half, three years, he entrusted them to carry on the ministry that he had begun. We want to be part of that group of ordinary men and women who are found faithfully living up to our callings, fulfilling the work that you have prepared in advance for us to do, sticking and growing together by the power of your spirit, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.